Morning, church. Boy, welcome, everyone. It's a special day today. As you can see, uh, we're going to be honoring some graduates. We're going to be blessing some babies. It's going to be a good day today. hope all of you are awake, ready to go. Uh, let's start with a prayer. Father God, thank you so much for breathing life into us this morning. Thank you for allowing us a place to come here and worship you. And God, we just pray that you are truly worshipped, that we can set aside our differences, our worldly problems, and just worship you, because you are worthy of that praise. God, be with us today. Open our hearts. Open our ears to hear your word. God, may we only see Jesus today. May we hear your word. Help us feast on it. It's through Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right. So today, like I said, we're going to be, it's graduation Sunday. Um, if you ever notice that there's always one person when you guys get together in a group, there's always one person that looks at things differently. Growing up, um, for me, it was my Uncle Linus. He's my dad's oldest brother. Um, one time when I was uh, land surveying before I got called into ministry, I was on the side of the road over in Kansas City, Kansas, and uh, Uncle Linus drove by, saw me. He stopped, got out, and started throwing snowballs at me, and then just drove away. That's my Uncle Linus. That's just, he's the one that kind of looks at, it, at different, life differently. Um, as a matter of fact, he's kind of passed those traits on to me, too, so I get to kind of be that uncle now, which is kind of fun. Um, going through uh, the book of John this month, and so if you want to turn with me there, when you compare John to the other Gospels, it's kind of like he is the one in the group that looks at life a little differently. So if we just start at the beginning here, uh, let's go to, go to Matthew. I'm going to be reading through each gospel, the first verse of each gospel, and you can kind of see why it's different. So in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, it says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Okay, so pretty straightforward. We know where we're going to go with this. There's going to be a genealogy following. So that's kind of uh, self-explanatory. Let me go to Mark. Mark says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, that's pretty straightforward. I don't even need to describe that one. You know what's coming else. And then you get to Luke. And Luke 1.1, 1, 1, I'll get there, I promise. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to dive more in. Like, okay, what's these things that he's being fulfilled? So kind of follow up. And then you get to John. And John starts his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you're like, okay, what does that mean? Why does he start off things differently? So then the other three Gospels. So I want to do something today that we have a little term for over at the teen house. It's called using our imagination. I know we don't use that very often over here, but today let's do that. So let's put ourselves in John's shoes, or sandals, if you will. So we're in first century Jerusalem. Uh, you're in an occupied territory, known of, occupied by the Roman Empire. So you're a fisherman, along with your brother, because your dad was that. Your dad was a fisherman. Um, if you had a nickname at all, it would be John, one of the sons of Zebedee. So you're young, you're a fisherman, kind of what you do. Then this rabbi comes by, and you hear his teachings kind of turning things upside down. Um, he comes by and says, drop everything and follow me. 
doesn't say for how long, doesn't say where you're going to go, and he definitely doesn't tell you how it's going to end. But for some reason, you do. You follow him. So you leave your family, leave your job, everything. You follow this guy. Then you start to see these amazing things happen. You listen when he teaches, and it, it pierces your heart, makes you think of things like you've never thought of before. You're young, you're like 14 or 15. And you kind of settle in with these other guys that have decided to follow this rabbi too. And you continue to see some incredible things. Now, while being very young, you probably do some things that uh, you might regret, a little immature, you might even be embarrassed about. Like the time you and your brother went up to ask Jesus if you could have a special place next to him when his kingdom is established above all the other disciples. And what makes that even worse, your mom goes and asks him the same thing. You want to talk about helicopter parenting. That's it. And that's not going to get you invited to many parties. Or how about the time where you and your brother asked Jesus to bring fire down from heaven to consume a whole town because you didn't think they were very welcoming to you when you walked in? After that, you get a new nickname from Jesus himself. Now you're not, all, not just one of the sons of Zebedee. He calls you one of the sons of thunder. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I don't know. But you get to see Jesus do some amazing things. Like you see him walk on the water. Calm a storm. Heal people. Some that have been sick for many years. And he even gives blind people the ability to see. And later on, you become one of Jesus' closest friends. He shares things with you that he doesn't share with anybody else. Uh, you go up on a mountain one day with him, and you see him like no other way before. You see him and for the true glory that he is. It scares you. It's so impactful that you think you're going to die seeing it. He casts demons out. Even you cast demons out with just the, just the name of your rabbi, Jesus. You say Jesus, and the demons run. You're there when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We see all these people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, laying palm branches down, welcoming him. And you're like, man, finally. Everybody else is seeing what I know, what I'm seeing. And maybe in the back of your mind you're still thinking about that special place in the kingdom, but at least you're seeing some progress. Then just a couple of days later, it all changes. Those same people that were shouting Hosanna... We're now shouting to crucify him. You watch Jesus get arrested, tried, and you watch him carry his cross. In fact, you're one of the handful of people that actually witnessed that with your own eyes. Now, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks at you. He says, take care of my mom. Be a son to her. And then you watch him die. Now, you're the youngest one there. You watch him get buried in the tomb. This man that you have followed for three years, this man that you watched raise a dead person from a grave yourself, you watched Lazarus walk out of the tomb yourself with your own eyes. Now he's in a tomb. And then you find yourself in a room kind of hiding with some awful, terrible grief. You're thinking to yourself, what does all this mean? These last three years have been... Crazy. What do they mean? Then, you get word that the tomb is empty. So you get up and run as fast as you can along with Peter 
who you barely beat, but who's keeping track? And then you peek in yourself to the tomb and you see the linens that Jesus was buried in, but you don't see a body. Then he comes to see you. He says, the resurrected Lord says, peace be with you. You see him. He breathes the Holy Spirit on you. Then you witness Pentecost, where that same power is shared with everyone. This power within ourselves, it's not really quite of our own. It's not, it's not of our own. And you get to do some pretty amazing things with that power. And then you watch the gospel spread. The story of Jesus spreads like crazy with the Jews, but even faster with people who aren't Jewish. It's going around the whole known world. And people start asking you about Jesus. Like, what was he like? You were there, you saw him. What was he like? We want to know. So you start telling these stories. People want to hear them. You have so many stories, even you say that you can fill many, many books. But over time, you notice these stories kind of start to change a little bit. Maybe not from historical facts and details, but things like, this is what he meant when he said this. This is what he really meant. Now, they didn't have a written Bible back then. So these letters were written in churches, two churches, and they were read in churches. Some of the churches that you helped start. Then when you're about 90 years old, you decide to write your account down. Because you had read your friends and contemporaries, but you had taken some time to just not write yours down. But here you are, about 90 years old, you decide to write it down. Now, you most likely have some help from some younger people. But still, people need to hear your testimony about Jesus Christ. So how do we start this account? After witnessing all the things that Jesus has done on earth, witnessing his death, burial, his resurrection, his gift of the Holy Spirit, continuing to work in the world, and you're continuing your walk with Jesus for decades. So how do you start this letter? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Because you see things a little different now. After all this time spent walking with Jesus, so you start with those words. Now these same words, uh, quoted from a philosopher who followed Plato, said these words of John deserve to be written in gold. That's how beautiful they are. So this is what John, was, I think, was saying throughout his whole gospel. This is what Jesus was really sharing. This is what he really meant. He does this a lot. So you want to turn with me to John chapter 4. Uh, if you don't know part, this part of Jesus' story, uh, Jesus is walking through a part of uh, Samaria, and Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Jews wouldn't take anything from the Samaritans. They wouldn't uh, eat at the same table. They wouldn't use their cups. They, would, they called them half-breeds. They did not like them. They did not get along. So Jesus is walking through Samaria, and he stops at a place to get some water, to get some rest. His disciples leave to go get food. Then this woman comes up during uh, the noon hour to get water. It's not a typical time for them to get water, but she's there. And Jesus starts a conversation with her, starting in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and you and, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked and you would ask excuse me. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Shouldn't have had that Starbucks this morning. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't think that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to get, to get water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you, have is, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So John is taking this conversation. And he says, this is what Jesus does quite frequently. People are talking about a physical thing. He's like, no, that's a spiritual thing. They have a physical need. Jesus is like, no, what you have is a spiritual need. This woman is saying, hey, I'm here, and you have this water. I'll take some. He's like, well, you got a bigger issue than just physical thirst. You have a spiritual thirst. And only I can do this for you. Jesus turns the conversation on its head and says, we're going to talk about something that matters, that lasts. We're going to turn this into a spiritual conversation. This woman had a thirst that only Jesus can quench. And that's why she was there getting water at the well. What I would call unexpected love that day. Now, I don't know if John saw them like this as he was witnessing them. But I know that he saw them differently while he was writing them. He knew that it wasn't physical thirst, it was spiritual thirst. When people talked about fearing death, he's just like, no, spiritual death you should be afraid of. You're not, you don't crave physical bread, you need to be craving the bread of life. Jesus talks about being born again. He thinks you talk about born of the Spirit. Looking back, John's telling us this is what he really meant. This is what lasts. It's a great message to hear, to learn from. I'm taking the physical and turning it into spiritual. Those spiritual conversations are important to have because in a world where the physical things and problems demand our attention all the time. Well, Herb was talking about how life goes so fast. You have all these things demand our attention. Schedule, job, finances, home, gym, to-do list, school, your phone. Look at me. You need me. That's what they're saying. It's loud. Because they come with results. Results that you can measure. You've got to plan for retirement. You've got to get that job. Get that promotion. Get that grade so you can get that scholarship, so you can get into that college, so you can get that job. That demands your attention. That's loud. Then you hear the spirit whisper. We get wrapped up in this bubble of all business. We're talking about stuff that doesn't matter. 
that doesn't last. We can hardly take time to talk about the things that do last forever. And if you put God behind all of those things I just listed, when the kids leave and go out on their own, and they know that those things are first, they're not going to find a God worth following. Our physical selves crave physical affirmation and likes. A physical identity. Now, it's easy to have those physical conversations about physical needs because you can measure your progress. I think when you get into the spiritual, you have to take a look at some stuff inside yourself that you don't have the power to change. That's tough. That's hard. We don't normally do that. Now I want to show you what I'm talking about. How many of you watch this show? How many of you have friends that bug you to watch this show? <laughs> Probably a lot. When I ask a lot of people here in the congregation if they watch it or don't, a lot of it was for the same reason. It was because the show is intense. Every week, there's something, some big thing that happens, and your emotions are just pulled every way. You're crying, you're laughing, you're doing all sorts of stuff. It's disgusting up here. But it's a great show. I want to give you this. The show's about a family that has triplets. Um, one of them dies at birth, but they do adopt a one at the hospital that same day. And so they, they show these uh, triplets going through, and they show past scenes, and they show future scenes, but they're always about these conversations in the past and how it has shaped them up to that point. Um, in the clip I want to show you, uh, one of the triplets is an African-American young man named Randall uh, who was adopted. But he has this flashback of him and his dad when he was a young boy. And older Randall was trying to figure out, he was trying to find his identity. And then he has this flashback. What are we here to build, boys? Fire, spirit, community. The three pillars. Now, before we begin, we have a new member to initiate today. Randall, come over here. Fathers. Randall, how old are you, son? Nine. Nine years old. Fine age. Do you think you have a good life? Yeah, I think so. Good. Good. I hope you always have a good life. But as you get older, you might start to find that things get harder. The world isn't always a kind place, especially for men like us. Take a look at the people on this map. We are your community. When things get hard, we are going to be the ones who hold each other up. As Randall's father, you are his foundation. Come lie down, as if you're going to do a push-up. Randall, climb on your father's back. <clears throat> Jack, your back was built to carry your son through life. Are you willing to hold him up no matter what comes his way? Yes. Show him. Good. Now keep going. Are you willing to raise this young boy into a strong man? Yes, sir. Are you willing to push him to be the best man in the world he can be? Yes. 
Now, I doubt nine-year-old Randall knew the significance of what was going on at that time. But if you watch the rest of the episode, 38-year-old Randall knew more about that moment. He knew it was about something deeper, something that would last longer. It wasn't just about how strong his father's arms or back was. It's actually about his identity and how his father saw him. And that sort of stuff shapes us. Those moments and conversations shape us. Now, let me give you a contrast to that. How many of you watch this show? It's a show about nothing, right? So, that show was on for nine years. Any of you... uh, Fellow Seinfeld nerds know that the first conversation and the last conversation was the same one. And nine years in between. First one, does anybody know what it was about? It's about a button. The second button on your shirt. Jerry says that it's in a bad place because if you unbutton it, people think you're trying to show off your chest. And if you button it, it's like too close to your throat, so you're like almost choking. It's about a button. So the first conversation, last conversation, nine years in between. whole lot of nothing. So am I saying that? If you watch Seinfeld and not This Is Us, that's your, not spiritual? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I like both shows. I like both shows. But here's the thing. In our lives, we tend to gravitate more towards the Seinfeld conversation than the This Is Us conversation. The things that scream for our attention, the physical needs of this world, we have to find a way to talk about the things that matter, the things that last. We have to share this with kids even when they're little bitty. Um, I've asked the elders and a few other spiritual mentors to help me with the sermon today. And if you look at your back of your bulletin, we've got some spiritual conversation starters. Uh, we've got them into three categories of kids, teens, and adults. And if you notice, the first one on each of them is the same. What does God think about you? Kind of funny story to tell you about my four-year-old nephew, Gunner. Um, I had Paul, father-in-law, ask him some questions. Um, he asked him what he thought God looked like. And Gunner said, well, he's got red hair, big and tall. And he's got a big beard. And he has a yellow shirt. I'm like, okay, why does he have a yellow shirt? Because uh, he's the light? Of course, of course. Something so simple. Then I asked, I asked him, I said, hey, Gunner, what, what does God think about you? He goes, uh, he loves me. That's right. Not only does he love you, you bring him joy. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. That's right, buddy. And then when they get older, they go to school, kids are mean. They come home, they don't like the way they think, they don't like the way they look, they don't like the way that they feel. They feel like garbage. When you ask them, what does God think about you? Hopefully they'll say, Oh, he loves me. We say, that's right. Let me tell you what he did. Then, when they get a little older, they move out, and life hits them right in the chest, and they don't know where to go. That's something to remember. What's God thinking? That's what matters. That's what lasts. Then they start thinking to themselves, hey, what was I? What does God think about me? Oh, he loves me. He loves me so much that he sent his only son to this world so that I don't have to die to sin. And I get to spend eternity with him. Kids, that's why your parents made you get up on Sunday mornings, get dressed, come to church. 
Because they knew it was important. These things last. It's important to set the foundation that God is love and that he loves you and everyone. We need to share this with our children, friends, co-workers, neighbors. It's important for us to encourage each other in this mission. And we have some teens today that I want to especially encourage. I need your help with. They're getting ready to start a new phase in life, graduating high school. Like I said, life's going to hit them in the chest. I was able to put together a slideshow honoring these teens. The seniors this year are Audrey Aspel, Molly Day, Katie Morant, Nikki Neighbors, Katie Waterman, and Cooper Wilkins. God has done some amazing things through these young people. And he will continue to do so. They just need to slow down, listen to God's voice, and we need to slow down and encourage them. Here's to you, you were pink or blue, and everything I wanted. Here's to you, never sleeping through, from midnight till the morning. Before you walked, before you ran, before I knew it, you were trying to free your fingers from my hand, cause you could do it on your own now, somehow, slow down, won't you stay Please don't roll your 
Church, take a look around you. We are a community. We're going to be the ones that hold each other up. With Jesus as our foundation, through the strength of his spirit, we promise as a community to help you, these graduates, help you carry all the burdens that you have, that you will have, through this life. Church, we need to be doing push-ups for these kids. Not only the ones that are graduating today, but the ones that the elders will be blessing here in just a few minutes. And all the ones in between. That's, these things are important. These are the things that last. Now, of course, I'm not talking about physical push-ups. I'm talking about spiritual push-ups. Letter of encouragement. A text saying, hello. How can I pray for you and somebody when we go to service? That's why we are taught when we are little that Jesus loves us. This I know. Well, the Bible tells us so. Because it's so important to have that at the beginning. And we're going to be singing a, a great song for an invitation song that reminds us of how awesome it is to serve God. And during this song, if you have any need at all, please, uh, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. And please make time to see these seniors today. Tell them that you love them. Encourage them. Please, let's stand and worship, church. <laughs>